I think he was taken aback because not a lot of people know where Jack Smith's office actually is. Well, apparently we do now. Jack Smith lives. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I knew it. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Sort of. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. <laughs> and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Hey there. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me and everyone I know, which is Desi, and that's about it. <laughs> uh, welcome to another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Glad to have, of course, Desi Doyen here with us. She will be here later with a, uh, oh, the Green News Report returns. Yes. We'll be catching up on a whole bunch of stuff that we missed while we were off. And there was a bunch. Was there? (laughs) Yes, there was. There was. But (laughs) we'll fit it all into six minutes somehow at the end of the program. Wish us luck. Uh, Hey, here's some news. There was a real live public Jack Smith sighting what on monday apparently the the, uh, the first so he lives he exists he's re- it's the first since he was uh, n- to my knowledge uh the first since he was named as a special counsel by attorney general merrick garland late last year yeah he exists an and actual jack smith sighting in the wild s- a sighting in the wild on video we actually have video of the guy. As far as I know, it's the first known pictures of Jack Smith, other than the few from his <laughs> stint at the International Court, court some time ago. And then there's the one that where he looks to be about 12 years old from 1990s. That's it, as far as I can tell. But now we got more. He's real. He exists. And after NBC finally figured out where his office actually is, apparently it is not not at the Justice Department, uh, they were able to track him down as he was walking to work with a briefcase when he was confronted by an NBC reporter. Hey there, Mr. Smith. How are you doing? Gary Grumbach from NBC News here. Is an indictment coming soon, sir? Is an investigation wrapping up, sir? Anything you'd like to say, Mr. Smith? 
No. Not even a no. Apparently, I don't like- <laughs> there is nothing he would like to say. Uh, so, to be fair, it probably doesn't have as much impact on the radio <laughs> since you still can't see him. But but we saw him. Trust me. He was there. He's real. He exists. Yeah. And my mom has told me that she's not actually sure he's he exists at all. And to be <laughs> fair, neither was I until now. We saw him. He exists. He looks good. Still doesn't say anything, so he's, uh, you know, uh, we still haven't heard his actual voice, but there you go. With that in mind, and in not necessarily unrelated news today, this happened last week to very little notice, it seems, while we were off. 55-year-old Robert Burcham was sentenced in Tampa Federal Court, according to court records, He pleaded guilty in February to unlawfully possessing and retaining classified documents relating to the national defense of the United States. According to the plea agreement, Burcham, who retired in 2018 as a lieutenant colonel, served in various positions in intelligence over his 29-year career, including those requiring him to work with classified intelligence information for the Joint Special Operations Command, the Special Operations Command, and for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Well, that would certainly have given him a lot of access to highly classified documents. In fact, very few, I I suspect, would have access to even more highly classified documents, for example, maybe presidents of the United States, for example. In 2017, law enforcement officers discovered that Burcham knowingly removed more than 300 classified files or documents, including more than 30 items marked top secret from authorized locations. According to prosecutors, Burcham kept the uh, these classified materials in his home. Well, that would be bad, keeping classified materials in your home. Uh, Also, in his overseas officer's quarters and a storage pod in his driveway. Prosecutors specifically noted that Burcham possessed two documents on a thumb drive found in his home that contained information related to the National Security Agency's capabilities and methods of collection and targets vulnerabilities. Their authorized re- unauthorized release could have caused exceptionally grave damage to the national security of the United States. According to officials, there was no indication from investigators that Bircham, however, ever distributed the classified material. But boy, howdy, had he done that or even talked about doing that, let's say on tape where someone recorded him doing that, well, that might have earned him even more than three years in federal prison. In fact, had he not pleaded guilty, Lord only knows how many years he might have ended up receiving for such a crime. Just in case you know of anyone who would have done such a thing. And speaking of which... Some of the uh, not-yet-quit or fired or criminally targeted attorneys of Donald J. Trump now appear pretty certain, based on their behavior, that criminal charges against the former president in his stolen documents case are apparently coming soon, perhaps very soon. Lawyers for 
Donald Trump went to the Justice Department on Monday, two weeks after requesting a meeting with Attorney General Merrick Garland to discuss their concerns about the special counsel investigation into Trump's conduct. As AP reports, a trio of Trump attorneys, James Trusty, John Rowley and Lindsey Halligan, They exited the Justice Department headquarters in Washington on Monday morning after spending well over an hour inside. The New York Times puts it at almost two hours. They got into a black sport utility uh, utility vehicle and did not respond to any reporter's questions. They also, uh, if you want my opinion based on the video of that moment, did not look entirely delighted. After coming out of that meeting. I would agree with your assessment of that body language. Unscientific as it is. Yes, yes. Neither uh, Garland nor uh, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco apparently were present for the meeting, reportedly. But uh, special counsel Jack Smith was there. Even though the request for a meeting by Trump's attorneys two weeks ago was specifically complaining about Jack Smith. The uh, Justice Department had no comment on the meeting, and you'll be surprised to learn, neither did Jack Smith. The visit, (laughs) according to uh, the New York Times, came as the former president's legal team concluded that prosecutors in the special counsel's office were approaching the end of their inquiry into Trump's handling of classified materials and were nearing a decision about whether charges should be filed, that according to Times sources. It's not entirely unusual, as uh, we've discussed, uh, for attorneys, particularly of high-profile criminal targets, to meet with prosecutors to try to plead their case for their client just before charging decisions and indictments are actually handed down. That they met with prosecutors is perhaps the best sign, I think, to date that the uh, documents case, the stolen documents case, is nearing likely indictments. In fact, I uh, I thought Fonnie Willis's conspiracy case against Trump for his attempted theft of Georgia's 2020 election would be the next one to bring indictments against Trump. But now we know that that won't happen until the very end of July or the beginning of August at the earliest. That, according to notices from the Fulton County, Georgia, district attorney's office. So charges via special counsel Jack Smith could actually, in truth, come first and, in fact, at any time between, well, now and late summer. In fact, former federal prosecutor Andrew Weissman, who was part of the Robert Mueller special counsel team, he tweeted last night, quote, A zillion stories about Trump case, but bottom line is he is getting charged and it will be in D.C. and this week. Really? This week, Des? We'll see. He says uh, there's open issues whether others may be charged and whether they will be charged in D.C. or in Florida. There has been some question about a Florida grand jury that appears to be meeting uh, as well. CNN is reporting that uh, just minutes ago, in fact, that federal prosecutors are using a second grand jury in Florida in the probe into Trump's handling of classified documents. It is unclear why they are using uh, grand juries in in both D.C. and in Florida. 
But anyway, we will see if he's right about that, that charges could be coming against the former president on the federal level, federal felonies. We'll see if that happens this week. After the meeting at the DOJ ended, Trump posted on his uh, dumb truth social uh, website in all capital letters, which usually seems to indicate that he is panicking. Quote, how can DOJ possibly charge me who did nothing wrong? When no other presidents misspelled with an apostrophe is yes, <laughs> when no other presidents were charged. Uh, and of course, it went on much longer. He went on to falsely claim that Joe Biden is in possession of 18, 1,850 boxes of documents. In fact, he isn't. He's apparently referring to boxes of senatorial and vice presidential materials that Biden donated to the University of <laughs> Delaware in 2012. And I think it's all coordinated with the National Archives. So they're not actually even in his possession, nor have they been for the past decade. <laughs> This is back in 2012. So uh, reported by uh, CNN, the documents in those boxes were actually searched by DOJ with the consent and the cooperation of the president's legal team and did not appear to have any classified markings on them. Trump also yammered on about documents from President Clinton and Hillary Clinton. And needless to say, I suspect it's all stuff and nonsense that I will waste your time explaining maybe on another time. He concluded, of course, all caps, the greatest witch hunt of all time. And uh, that rant, which happened just after the his attorneys got out of that meeting, that has been continuing uh, over the next day with more of these long rambling statements, starting with claims like, quote, the Marxist and fascists in the DOJ and FBI are going after me at a level and speed speed no, never seen before in our country and i did nothing wrong of course the doj and fbi known for their marxist <laughs> beliefs and quote it's all about election interference they don't want to run against me and quote they are using the doj and fbi against me to rig with two g's the 2024 election <laughs> Uh, nothing about these fascists is fair or honest, he says. And in all caps again, fight, he tells his followers. Uh, he also, by the way, called into a uh, right wing radio show and confirmed the meeting that his lawyers had uh, at the DOJ and said, quote, well, I can just say this. They did go in and they saw him and they said very unfair. No other president has ever been charged with anything like his. Hmm. Not sure if that's supposed to be like this, if that's a typo from AP. But in any event, uh, yeah, this could all get very nuts very quickly, perhaps even this week. We are now learning the status of Jack Smith's other line of inquiry into Trump's efforts to reverse his election loss, as uh, I think this is The Times describes it, to steal his election and and how those efforts contributed to the assault on the Capitol on January 1 by his support, January 6, 2021, by his supporters, uh, that remains less clear. As to some of the specific news about the stolen documents case, uh, there's been a lot of it, as noted, uh, coming in. A lot of it came in while we were off that sort of uh, helped lead to all of this that is going on this week, perhaps. CNN had the biggest scoop of the week last week, where Trump 
was recorded, apparently, at a July 2021 meeting at his Bedminster Club in New Jersey, touting a classified Pentagon document about a potential attack on Iran that he claimed to have been holding in his very hands at the time, even as he noted to his interviewers that it was classified so he couldn't show it to them, which undermines his own claim that all of the documents he stole upon leaving the White House had been declassified by him first with his magical presidential mind powers to do so. That, of course, is a lie. And whether he actually had the document that he claimed to be having about an attack on Iran, whether, you know, that he was claimed to be holding in his hands, well, whether he had it in his hands or not, it is evidence for prosecutors against him and his claim that he had declassified everything that he stole, which on its own was unlawful to take those documents, whether they were classified or unclassified. It doesn't matter under the Espionage Act. Uh, if they have to do with national security, that's it. That's a violation. But his claim that everything he took was uh, declassified before he, he left the White House, well, not according to this claim that he was making, I'm not sure that that document was actually in his hands. I'm not sure that he wouldn't have shown it to them if it actually was in his hands. But in any event, on the recording, uh, Trump's comments suggest he would like to share the information, but he was aware of the limitations of his ability to declassify records after his presidency. Special Counsel Smith has reportedly been focusing on that recorded meeting and has been asking grand jury witnesses about it. The New York Times then followed up that report with some additional detail on a Trump aide by the name of Margot Martin, who was at that Bedminster meeting in New Jersey and well, reportedly routinely recorded interviews that Trump gave. So, yeah, Lordy, there are, in fact, tapes. Maybe a lot of tapes. And Jack Smith, according to The Times, has reportedly obtained those recordings. The Guardian's Hugo Lowell added more details to the reporting. The document that Trump was touting during the recorded interview was classified as secret. For several minutes of the audio recording, the sources said Trump talks about how he cannot discuss the document because he's no longer has the powers of the president to declassify now that he's out of office, but suggests that he should have done so when he was still in the White House. So even that goes against what he has been saying. I really I should have declassified this one while I still had the chance. So uh, this was a recording that was obtained around March of this year. So there could be a whole bunch of uh, new information. It seems like that would stretch things out for Jack Smith, but maybe not. So, yeah, there's uh, a, a hell of a lot going on. Uh, also, the uh, as the there's new details on Jack Smith's investigation into whether Trump obstructed justice in response to the grand jury subpoena for those documents uh, and specifically for Mar-a-Lago security footage. We now know that there was a maintenance man at Mar-a-Lago uh, who worked with Trump's body man to help Trump move documents in and out of that storage room. But there appears to uh, they have, someone appears to have manipulated the security camera footage with big chunks of time missing in that security surveillance camera footage that has been obtained. That would be very serious obstruction of justice. So, yes, it all seems 
like this guy, Donald Trump, is just dead to rights at this point. When an indictment will come, of course, we still do not know, but we you know, may be finding that out very suddenly and out of the blue, knowing the way Jack Smith seems to operate. I don't even know if he would announce it in advance. I don't know if he would announce it at all. He, he might just file it, and that's that. In any event, we may know sooner rather than later. In other wingnut fraudster accountability news at a much, much lower level, yesterday we quickly uh, noted that longtime Republican activist and pretend journalist James O'Keefe, my good friend, uh, who had uh, scammed corporate media for uh, a long time with his phony acorn pimp hoax videos, for which he has since received millions of dollars from the right wing, uh, you know, Charles Koch wingnut welfare crowd. He has now been sued by his own ironically named organization, Project Veritas, for a litany of abusive practices and misuse of funds, etc. For example, the lawsuit, according to The Washington Post, uh, filed in the Southern District of New York, includes claims that O'Keefe spent large sums of donor money on himself, allegedly including a $150,000 bill on luxury black car service and $10,000 on helicopter flight to Maine at one point. Wow. So uh, apparently, though, uh, this is the whole right wing phony voter fraud fraudster group are doing the same damn thing. They are all self-dealing. They're getting this money from these billionaires and then they're giving it to themselves. And by the way, they are not outing any actual waste, fraud or abuse, much less voter fraud. We've long reported on a group of such GOP voter fraud fraudsters calling themselves True the vote. Now, they put out uh, over the years report after report on pretend non-existent fraud that always ends up being unbelievably embarrassing for them if they had the capability of being embarrassed. These reports and these claims are entirely debunked by actual demonstrable facts and stuff. The uh, founder of this group, True the Vote, is a woman named Catherine Engelbrecht. And uh, ProPublica is now reporting that Engelbrecht and the group's director, a guy by the name of Greg Phillips, used the nonprofit to enrich themselves. Are you shocked? That, according to a complaint, filed to the IRS on Monday, the nonprofit watchdog group Campaign for Accountability called for an investigation into True the Vote, which has made repeated false claims about voter fraud in elections. The complaint said True the Vote may have violated state and federal law when the charity used donations to issue loans to Engelbrecht and lucrative contracts to Phillips. The organization also failed to disclose the payments to insiders in its tax returns, including excessive legal bills paid to its general counsel, uh, who uh, has since filed election-related lawsuits in four states, according to the complaint, though those lawsuits were dismissed quickly. Over the years, Engelbrecht and Phillips have promoted probes into supposed voter fraud in their fundraising efforts, but they have failed to deliver any evidence 
of any such activity. The pair catapulted to national prominence most recently, I think it was last summer, when the right-wing provocateur and actual convicted election fraud felon, a guy by the name of Dinesh D'Souza, who subsequently, by the way, he, he was charged with election fraud. He was subsequently pardoned by Donald Trump for that election fraud. In any event, D'Souza featured Engelbrecht and Phillips and the nonprofit's discredited work in the film called 2000 Mules, which actually played in movie theaters across the country and convinced a whole bunch of right wing dupes and boobs that there that there was, you know, massive fraud in the 2020 election. Even though both the FBI and, you know, other Republican law enforcement officials in places like Georgia and Arizona dismissed the claims after the pair refused to turn over the evidence that they claimed they supposedly had. Engelbrecht and Phillips, of course, have defended their work on on voting and their attorney has said there was nothing wrong about the loans and the contracts with True the Vote, the federal government allows nonprofit organizations to operate tax free, but in return, they're required to disclose substantial information about their finances to make sure the donors' funds are being used appropriately. Well, the group's legal woes have mounted since the 2000 Mules movie by D'Souza. Since then, a Georgia voter, for, uh, a Georgia voter sued. Uh, both of them, Engelbrecht and Phillips and D'Souza, for defamation because he said he was wrongly accused in the film of committing voter fraud. So, no, he, he wasn't. Uh, as he was portrayed on uh, security camera footage in the film, a, a ballot mule harvesting thousands of unlawful ballots and dropping them into drop boxes the way he was portrayed in this film, he wasn't that. In fact... A state investigation in Georgia found that the voter was dropping off ballots for himself and his family members. Completely legally. Totally legally. Former uh, far-right Republican Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich's office asked federal authorities to investigate True the Vote and their finances after Engelbrecht and Phillips also would not produce purported evidence on voter fraud to investigators in 2022. James Bopp Jr., the group's own former general counsel, is now also suing True the Vote in federal court <laughs> for breach of contract for nearly $1 million in unpaid legal bills dating back several years. True the Vote has countersued Bopp's law firm, accusing it of engaging in fraud and substandard lawyering, according to court documents. In an interview with ProPublica, the attorney, Bopp, said that uh, True the Vote's counterclaim has no merits. Quote, they did nothing but praise our work. This is what unscrupulous people will do when they try to avoid the repayment of debt. Of course, how scrupulous he is representing a group like True the Vote. You yes. could say makes yes. takes one to know one. There you go. In uh, in January, ProPublica and the Dallas Morning News reported that Engelbrecht and Phillips had created, oh, I like this part, they had created another charity called The Freedom Hospital. It aimed to help children and elderly people affected by the war in Ukraine with medical care. 
Its website said it had raised halfway to $25 million for a mobile hospital. That sounds very nice, which made me think maybe I have these people all wrong. Maybe they're good people. In the nearly two decades that I've been reporting on them, perhaps I've I, I haven't given them the credit that they deserve. You haven't given them the benefit of the doubt. That's right. Here they're doing something nice. Well, as it turns out, ProPublica and the Dallas Morning News found that the effort never actually materialized, and the website has been taken down. Attorneys for Engelbrecht and Phillips said that it was a good-faith effort and that their uh, his clients only raised... Well, not halfway to $25 million, as they claimed, but $268. Oh, okay. That's considerably different. Yes. Not $268,000, but $268 for the uh, the project. In 2020, an election year, when the right-wing billionaires, you know, hand out money to these groups just like candy, the organization... True the Vote actually raised $5 million. In 2019, however, the organization had given a reporter and the IRS two wildly different tax returns. Oops. They were riddled with inconsistencies between what they actually turned into the IRS and what they showed to a reporter. Uh, A lot of key questions about it, including a $113,000 loan to Engelbrecht that she had taken from her own company. At the time, True the Vote said it planned to file an amended return, but it does not appear to have ever been filed with the IRS. Those forms are, uh, Form 990s, are actually public records that people can view. Uh, At the time, True the Vote said that they planned to amend that return. They didn't. And despite Texas law stating directors of nonprofits cannot receive loans from their own organization, Engelbrecht regular, regularly received loans from her organization, ranging from about $40,000 to $113,000, according to tax filings. She also earned a salary, even if the word earned may be an overstatement there by ProPublica. <laughs> Uh, The group also, according to the complaint, issued huge contracts like one for $750,000 to uh, their director, Phillips. So he was on salary with the company, and then they gave him a contract for $750,000. And uh, to the law firm, to Bob's law firm, $280,000 for just seven days of work. Uh, in fact, uh, in, in 2020, True the Vote did not report those contracts in their tax returns, which is required for all contracts that are above $100,000, according to the complaint. Ms. Engelbrecht, as president of True the Vote, appears to have voluntarily and intentionally filed a false, incorrect, and incomplete Form 990. In fact, she committed fraud. Mm. Funny how that works. The ver- Allegedly, according to this complaint, the very same thing that she's been pretending to try to stop others from uh, committing now for years, along with James O'Keefe. Anyway, all of this couldn't happen to a nicer gal. I, I, I wish that that was all the phony right-wing voter fraud news that I had to share with you today. But it ain't. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more all-new right-wing tampering 
with voting systems and, yes, more GOP voter fraud fraud in the great state of Ron DeSantis's Florida. That and the return of the Green News Report with Desi Doyen all still ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, I've been covering election integrity and voting systems for just about two decades now. And for all of the years that Republicans were basically denying that there were any concerns whatsoever about electronic voting systems, it was largely, you know, Democrats and Greens and independents who were fighting the good fight against computerized voting and tabulation systems. Uh, through all of those years, we never saw, to my recollection, any of those Democrats or Greens or independents actually take the type of measures that Republicans now fully hoodwinked into believing that the 2020 election was stolen from them, despite any evidence to support that claim. We never saw the type of measures that Republicans have been taking to violate the law in order to try to make their case somehow. And that includes these unlawful breaches of voting systems in states like Georgia and Colorado and Michigan and Pennsylvania and elsewhere since the 2020 election. And most astonishingly, in most of those cases, it's been done by actual election officials or with the cooperation of actual election officials. Well, guess what? More along those lines today from one of the, from a whole different state, from one of the most right wing parts of my old home state of Missouri, according to uh, an outlet called the St. Louis Record. They write uh, when the St. Charles County Board of Election director discovered what he believed to be evidence that an electronic voting machine had connectivity to the Internet, a certain protocol was required. But a Missourian's uh, 501c3 nonprofit group is alleging that the Board of Elections director here, a guy by the name of Kurt Barr, acted improperly. The dude apparently cut the wires inside the machine that he believes allowed the system to connect to the Internet. He broke oh he broke the seals on the machine to open it, and then he cut the wires inside of it <laughs> with a scissors. And he admits, by the way, to all of this on videotape. Videotape that is seen at KurtCutTheWires.com. <laughs> okay. Quote, if he was modifying something, there needed to be a work order, said Byron Keelan. He's the president of the Freedom Principle M.O. This is another right wing group, but they're making allegations against what appears to be a right wing elections director in St. Charles, Missouri. 
Quote, these machines are maintained by a third-party vendor, so he could have very well violated the service agreements by cutting the wires, oh, you think? Which means that the county could be on the hook for any future maintenance of these machines. It, it would seem he not only violated service agreements, it seems like he violated the law. Section 115.633 of the Missouri statutes makes it illegal to tamper with electronic voting machines. That section of the Missouri State Code describes as crime, quote, willfully tampering with, disarranging, defacing, materially altering, impairing or destroying any voting machine or automatic tabulating equipment owned or leased by or loaned to an election authority. Yep. Sounds like that's what he did. Yeah, I'm no lawyer, but that does sound <laughs> like he broke the law. And again, he admits to all of this on videotape. There was a bunch of cam several different cameras in this room because they kept cutting back and forth to different angles. So he knew the cameras were there. Now, the sound quality, however, is bad enough on those videos that I don't think it's worth playing here. But you can watch the whole thing at... Kurt cut the wires dot com. Kurt with a K or a C? With a K. All right. The uh, St. Charles County Board of Elections Deputy Director Mark Parkinson allegedly revealed in the video that both he and Barr physically cut the wires of the uh, of a voting machine, so there would be no connection to the internet. As uh, the deputy director, or, I'm sorry, as as the guy who who runs the 501c3, who's pointing out the problems here. Uh, he told the record, quote, voting machines in Missouri are not supposed to have the ability to connect to the Internet. And if they have an Ethernet port, that means they have the ability to connect to the Internet, which is not entirely true. In fact, they would still need to have another device inside. Merely having the port uh, doesn't get you there. They still have to have a modem or a Bluetooth chip or something like that. But Keelan adds, this situation just tells you why we need to replace voting machines with paper ballots because they do come with this port that can connect to the Internet, which is fair enough, though it doesn't give the election director the legal right to go in and cut the wires. The uh, Freedom Principle is calling on the Secretary of State to investigate what happened, to investigate Barr and Parkinson for potentially violating Missouri statutes. Keelan told the uh, record whether there was malicious intent or not doesn't matter, in my opinion. If Secretary of State Ashcroft believes in election integrity and wants to make sure that voting machines can be trusted, then this is where he needs to hold the St. Charles County Board of Elections Director Kurt Barr accountable for their actions. Barr did not respond to requests for comments, which is probably smart. <laughs> this is a, a, a wake-up call for groups like us, said Keelan, to push for stricter controls and audit measures by the Secretary of State on voting machines. I hope to get to more get more information on that story. I actually in that video saw someone that I know that I may try to contact about all of this, but I just wanted to bring it to your attention because it seems of a piece with so many of these stories where right-wingers since 2020 have been unlawfully opening up voting machines, tampering with them, unlawfully copying and distributing the software from them thereby putting other elections at risk. We saw that in uh, states like Colorado, where the then Mesa County clerk, woman by the name of Tina Peters, snuck into the voting system room in the middle of the night with accomplices. She's been charged with 10 criminal indictments in return. 
A very similar thing happened in townships in Michigan and in Pennsylvania and, of course, in Coffee County, Georgia, which we have been covering very closely since that breach carried out the day after the January 6, 2021 uh, insurrection. It was organized and funded by Trump lawyer Sidney Powell. It was hatched, as we have since learned, via House January 6th committee testimony was hatched in Donald Trump's Oval Office with Donald Trump there on December 18 of 2020. And I mention it because, well, A, that Coffee County, Georgia breach is believed to be one of the issues that is being probed very closely by Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fonnie Willis as part of potential conspiracy charges coming down the pike for Trump and friends in Georgia later this summer. And B, well, because we've been digging into a little bit more of the Coffee County case, and I do hope to have more details on what appears to be a very serious cover-up of the entire matter by Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Which is kind of important because, you know, Georgia is a very important swing state in the 2024 election. Yes, it is. And Raffensperger is, you know, regarded as a hero by some because he did not uh, steal the election results when Donald Trump tried to strong arm him into doing it on that phone call when he asked to find 11,780 votes. But in fact, as we've long reported, long before the 2020 election, Georgia's Secretary of State Raffensperger is no hero. Anyway, more on that, I suspect, in the days ahead. Just stick a pin in that for now. Wanted to make sure that stays on your radar. Meanwhile, remember the uh, that press conference that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis held uh, last year, flanked by uniform state law enforcement officials in the uh, Democratic stronghold of Broward County for some reason. He held this press conference to announce the arrest of 20 individuals who were charged with voter fraud just five days before the 2022 primary election last year. Remember that? Claimed that uh, there would be more such arrests coming and that voters uh, arrested had voted unlawfully because though they were former felons who are uh, former felons are now allowed to register and vote in Florida. But those who are charged who were charged with murder or sex crimes are not allowed to. And for that, they were arrested. Remember when shortly after uh, that videotape was released of some of those arrests, some of those people, mostly people of color, in Broward County being arrested, rounded up at dawn, terrified and confused about why they were even being arrested at all for voter fraud, when in fact they had no idea that they had actually committed voter fraud. They thought they were lawfully voted years earlier after they were sent, you know, they were registered and sent voter ID cards by the state and, and all of that. Remember that? Here's some of that video just as a reminder. Apparently, I, I guess you have a warrant. For what? I'm not it's sure. For voter stuff, man. For voters, it's, it's uh, what it uh, is. It. I think the agents with FDLE talked to you last week yeah, about yeah, some voter fraud, voter stuff you, when you weren't supposed to be voting. Maybe. Yeah, I, don't know. I didn't. So. What are they talking they, about? That's man? what you're, they, We're not the case agents, but what you got to do, they they have reduced your bond quite a bit. It, it's two felony charges for voter fraud, but they have reduced it to $500 bonds. So it's a thousand dollars total. Oh my God, man! What? So, the? 
Yes, sir. So unfortunately, right now we're gonna have to take you to jail, but you're get, you got a bond right away. You don't have to go to first appearance, nothing like that. So a bond? I didn't do it. Come in. We have a warrant for your arrest. For what? For bona fide. So if you could put your hands on your back, please. Oh my God. Do so not move. ultimately, ma'am, you have a warrant. Okay. It's for voter fraud, okay? I'm like, voter fraud? I voted, but I ain't fought, commit no fraud. Well, yeah, so th that's the thing. I, I don't know exactly what happened with it, but you, you do have a warrant. That's what it's for. Okay. Oh, my God. Hey, unfortunately, you got a warrant out, okay? Warrant? What's yes, sir. You want to put your hands behind your back for me? Yes, you're not allowed to go. Well, no, but when I, no one ever really explained all that much to me. I told the guys when they came out here that I was at the... Driver's license, please. Can you make mm -hmm. me driver's license? Yeah. The guy there asked me, he says, hey, can you walk? He says, hey, I'm pretty sure I can. He goes, well, are you still on probation? I said, no. Uh, I got off probation like a month ago. He goes, well, then you can probably vote. Hey, just fill out the form, and if you can vote, then they'll let you give you a card. If you can't vote, then you won't. And I'm like, all right. So that sounds like a loophole to me. Uh, well, we can hope. Yeah, I guess they're doing like some kind of roundup thing or something for all the ones that were within the county. This is crazy, man. Y'all put me in jail for something I didn't know nothing about. Why would y'all let me vote if I wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to vote? Yeah, good question. Why would y'all let him vote if he wasn't eligible to vote? The state is supposed to check that before they send out a voter ID card to these people when they register. So, yeah, that was as bad as it sounded, especially it coming right before an election, days before an election, with Ron DeSantis running for re-election in that election, calling a big press conference to announce these crimes in a Democratic stronghold. Putting any of those Democrats who might consider voting at all, putting them, uh, you know, on notice and that video coming out showing all of these people being arrested for having voted when they didn't even know it was a crime. Well, it's all even worse than that. According to the Orlando Sentinel on Monday, a Republican state attorney last May, so May of 2022, before DeSantis's big flashy press conference, declined to prosecute six voter fraud cases that involved circumstances strikingly similar to the cases that were later brought against 20 ex-felons by Governor Ron DeSantis's election police unit and statewide prosecutors. The office of Republican State Attorney Bill Gladson, Gladson whose district includes the Villages, a very Republican stronghold, and five Republican counties, he confirmed six convicted sex offenders in Lake County had voted in the 2020 general election. That, according to a determination letter that was obtained by the Sentinel. Gladson and his staff concluded, however, that the cases could not be prosecuted because the fraud was not willful, a rationale that attorneys say applies equally, or at least should, to many of the voter fraud cases that are currently being pursued by DeSantis's statewide Office of Prosecution. In the year since that letter was written by a supervisor in Gladson's office, no ex-felons in that circuit, that very Republican circuit, including the six sex offenders, have been arrested for illegally voting, a felony charge punishable by $5,000 up to five years in prison. 
In August of last year, 20 people living in a majority Democratic county were swiftly jailed in the first significant action that was taken by the Office of Election Crimes and Security, a new election police force that DeSantis had set up. Each of them had voted despite being convicted of a felony sex offense or murder, which makes them ineligible to have their voting rights restored under Amendment 4, the amendment that restored voting rights to most felons. They were each, however, cleared to cast a ballot by the state. They were given voter ID cards just as those identified as having voted illegally in Gladson's district were. You know, the ones who weren't arrested and thrown in jail and charged with felony crimes before last year's election. Roger Whedon, a lawyer representing two people who were arrested by DeSantis's police, said it seems that sex offenders in Lake County have been given a pass while those in majority Democratic counties were not. Quote, there is no factual way to differentiate between the cases, and yet some people are being prosecuted under the same factual scenario and others are not, said Whedon. Selective prosecution, depending upon where you live. And what your color is. Yep. According to the letter, the uh, Lake County Supervisor of Elections Office flagged the six cases for Gladson's staff to review. Spokesperson for that agency said the state, the state itself was also notified about those cases, but apparently didn't take action. A spokesperson for Attorney General Ashley Moody's office in an email said the state, quote, does not have any active prosecutions involving those six sex offenders in Lake County. An annual report by the Florida Department of State released in January said there were nine pending investigations and seven preliminary investigations into unqualified electors willfully voting in Gladson's district. None, zero, however, have been arrested. According to its website, of the 20 initial voter fraud cases taken up by Moody's office, most of them have either been thrown out or ended in plea deals in which those defendants were able to walk away with no penalties. Since the initial arrests, after DeSantis has had announced with much fanfare, flanked by uniform officers just days before the election, that there would be more such arrests coming with equal justice for anyone found to have voted illegally, well, his election police unit has only made four other arrests. That, according to an annual report by the Department of State. I'm starting to think that whole thing was a scam to help him get reelected. Maybe that's just me. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the return of the Green News Report. Right here on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, I don't know how you'll do it, but you'll do it, Desi Doyen. We've yep. been off for uh, <laughs> over a week, and somehow you're going to get us all entirely caught up. 
with everything we missed yep. <laughs> in our latest Green News report. While we were out... The 60-vote threshold having been achieved, the bill is passed. Biden's debt ceiling deal averts economic crisis while Joe Manchin gets his pipeline payoff. If you're looking for a homeowner's policy, you'll have to really shop around. And if you live in a fire-prone area... Good luck. Major insurer ditches California over wildfire risk. Plus, the court's decision will jeopardize the sources of clean drinking water for farmers, businesses, and millions of Americans. Supreme Court wetlands ruling is a major victory for polluters and developers. And polluting developers. All of those dirty stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. I propose creating a position in the U.S. Department of Energy for the sole purpose of fighting the war on gas stoves. This amendment would create this position in the department, the Supreme Allied Gas Commander. And I know just the person for the job. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, that Florida Democrat Congressman Jared Moskowitz is raising hell about the uh, right wing and their pretend war on gas stoves. Yes, he he is great for trolling Republicans. Yes, he is. What do you got for us today? Well, while we were out, President Biden signed bipartisan legislation to suspend the nation's debt ceiling, ending congressional Republicans' attempts to extort deep budget cuts or else they'd push the nation into default, triggering global economic crisis. Biden's deal blocked Republicans, but at a cost. For the environment, the agreement limits environmental reviews for new energy projects under the National Environmental Policy Act, which will speed up approvals of both new clean energy and new fossil fuel projects. The deal has no permitting reform for new transmission lines, a critical bottleneck to decarbonizing the nation's electric grid. And it includes a pipeline payoff for conservative Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, fast-tracking approval of his pet project, the fracked gas Mountain Valley Pipeline through West Virginia. That's an exchange for Manchin casting the deciding vote last year on Biden's historic climate law, the Inflation Reduction Act. In an Oval Office address, Biden cast the trade-offs as critical to protecting the law's massive investments. You know, we also protected the most significant breakthrough ever, ever, in dealing with the existential threat of climate change. Some of my Republican colleagues are determined to gut the clean energy investments. I said no. We kept them all. They kept them all, $400 billion worth. And it should be noted that all of these concessions that Biden made, he would have had to make plus more later this year on the budget deal. So as you know, I think it's a win-win-win for Biden. Also, while we were out, the right-wing majority on the U.S. Supreme Court stripped federal pollution protections from the nation's wetlands, jeopardizing access to safe drinking water for millions of Americans. The majority ignored the plain text of the Clean Water Act and instead invented a new test, declaring only wetlands with a continuous surface connection to larger bodies of water are eligible. Just like they made up a new rule to knock the EPA out of 
monitoring carbon pollution about a year ago. Yep. And this new ruling renders roughly half of the nation's wetlands unprotected and means that more wetlands and seasonal streams will be filled in with dirt for development, destroying the ecosystem services and benefits they provide. Well, what are you going to do? The Biden Environmental Protection Agency will now have to revamp new rules for Clean Water Act protections already in the works, and Congress could protect wetlands through legislation, but that's unlikely while Republicans hold power. Or we could reform the Supreme Court and get rid of the corrupted right-wing majority. In other news, the state of Arizona, facing water shortages amid historic mega drought, announced it will limit new housing construction in the greater Phoenix area. That, after a new analysis of state water resources, predicted severe groundwater shortages in coming decades. The new limits don't affect existing homeowners or new developments that have already been approved under the state's strict water laws, but new housing developments will be required to find alternate water sources. (laughs) Good luck. Finally, the U.S. insurance industry is pulling back from areas of high-risk exposure. First, it was in Florida over costly hurricanes. Now, State Farm, the largest insurer in California, said it will halt sales of new homeowner insurance policies in the state, citing increasing wildfire exposure risk and inflation that has increased the cost of reconstruction. Wildfires are increasing in frequency and intensity due to the climate crisis, and California has experienced record wildfires over the past six years. Sean Kevlin, CEO of the Insurance Information Institute on CNBC, said the U.S. needs to better manage its risks. We need to think about resilience. We need to think about risk mitigation. Insurance is a risk transfer tool, but it can only go so far if we're not managing the risk. And it's important to note that there are no climate science deniers in the insurance industry. Unlike a good neighbor, State Farm won't be there. Mm Mm-hmm. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire. It does indeed. Thank you very much. Yeah. Buckle up, folks. Climate change is coming for your homeowner's insurance. Yeah, it is. Desi Doyen, our producer, thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to donate to our efforts by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. It is much needed, greatly appreciated. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. We will see you here. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher, and it burns, 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 the ring of fire.